Biographical Bites from Bala number 6 for March 2022. Hannah Clothier Hull, A Life for Peace. Welcome to the sixth episode of Biographical Bites from Bala, West Laurel Hill Stories. West Laurel Hill Cemetery is a historic and active cemetery in Bala Kinwood, Pennsylvania. It opened in 1869 across the river from its sister cemetery, Laurel Hill Cemetery, in Philadelphia. It's larger than Laurel Hill, has a totally different feel, a strikingly different population. Like Laurel Hill, it is open 365 days a year, now from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. until the end of March when the hours expand to 7 p.m. There is plenty of parking at the business office just off Belmont Avenue or at the Bell Tower, or if you enter on Belmont, follow the road with the white line in the middle. Another possibility, just duck in while you're walking the Kidwood Trail. Your best bet for public transportation is probably to take a bus to the Wissahickon Transfer Center on Ridge Avenue and then cross the Pencoid Pedestrian Bridge. Come in via the Writer's Ferry entrance, which is across from the Pet Cemetery. Our sixth episode of BBB is for mid-March 2022. Tells you of a suffragette and a lifelong leader in the women's peace movement. She did it for more than 50 years. Hannah Clothier Hull, daughter of a founder of Strawbridge and Clothier, sister of an International Tennis Hall of Fame member, and wife of one of the great Quaker historians and peace activists, William Isaac Hull. Both Halls lived a life for peace. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was elected to his first term as U.S. President in November 1932. When he proposed his New Deal cabinet a few weeks later, Columbia University psychologist and scholar Dr. Lorene Pruitt suggested in a newspaper interview that he instead inaugurate a real New Deal, a cabinet made up of women whose, quote, broader social viewpoint and concept of social justice could help steer the world away from militarism. Dr. Pruitt suggested history archivist and progressive reformer Dr. Mary Ritter Beard as Secretary of State. Ohio Supreme Court judge and pacifist Florence Allen would be perfect for Secretary of War. Director of the Bureau of Home Economics Dr. Louise Stanley was her candidate for Secretary of the Interior. Industrial toxicologist Dr. Alice Hamilton would be just right for Secretary of Public Health. Lawyer Lena Madison Phillips, founder of the National Business and Professional Women's Clubs, would be a great Attorney General. Mrs. Franklin Roosevelt would fit in as Secretary of Education, and Miss Jane Adams would be a perfect Vice President. Miss Frances Perkins was recommended for Secretary of Labor. That actually happened. Perkins spent 12 years in that role under FDR. 
Pruitt's recommendation for an office that does not even exist anymore, Secretary of the Navy, was a Philadelphia suffragette, peace activist, and club woman named Hannah Clothier Hull. The cabinet position, Secretary of the Navy, lasted about 150 years, from 1798 to 1949. And the 25th man to take the role was Adolph E. Borey, who was interred in a mausoleum in Section P at Laurel Hill Cemetery. What had Hannah Clothier Hall, daughter of one of the founders of Strawbridge and Clothier, sister of tennis professional William Clothier, done to deserve this consideration? And what exactly was the women's peace movement? As long as man has chosen to be at war, there have been peace movements to protest war's loss and immorality. The first mass peace movement was the Pax et Triuga Dei, or the Peace and Truce of God, led by the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. It was proclaimed at the Council of Charu in 989. And when the Reformation gave rise to a number of Protestant sects in the 16th century, some were the so-called peace churches, the Amish, the Mennonites, the Church of the Brethren, and the Religious Society of Friends, or Quakers. Quakerism was a splinter from the Church of England that started about 1640. Its founder, George Fox, taught that it was possible to have a direct experience of Christ without the aid of ordained clergy. The term Quaker was initially a derisive nickname for Fox and his followers, who shared the belief that people should, quote, tremble at the word of the Lord, end quote. Fox's wife, Margaret Fell, had a home that was a gathering place for Quakers in northwest England. It was called Swarthmore Hall. But to an outsider, Quakerism is difficult to understand. There are theist Quakers who consider themselves Christians and non-theist Quakers whose spiritual practice does not rely on the existence of God. From the beginning, many of their beliefs were considered radical, such as the idea that men and women were spiritual equals and that women could speak during worship services. Quakers refused to participate in war, refused to swear oaths, opposed slavery, wore plain dress, and practiced teetotalism. Their beliefs did not prohibit them from making money. Banking institutions Barclays, Lloyd's, and Friends Provident were all founded by Quakers, as were the big three British confectionery makers, Cadbury, Roundtree, and Fry. Quakers also worked to abolish slavery and for prison reform and social justice. Quaker immigrants arrived in the North American colonies in the mid-1650s and were not always tolerated. In Puritan Massachusetts, several Quakers were executed. But in 1681, to pay off a debt, King Charles II gave William Penn, a wealthy English Quaker, a large land grant in America. Penn, who had been jailed several times in England for his beliefs, founded Pennsylvania as a sanctuary for religious freedom and tolerance. Several thousand friends moved from England to the new territory over the next few years. Many Quakers held positions of political power until it started to compromise their religious beliefs, especially pacifism. They took up causes such as protecting Native Americans' rights 
in creating schools and adoption centers. While many early colonial Quakers did own enslaved people, Philadelphia Quakers were ordered in 1758 to stop buying and selling other human beings. And by the 1780s, this belief had spread to all Quakers. During the American Revolution, many Quakers refused to participate in the war, even though they risked persecution from both patriots and loyalists. Some refused to pay taxes that funded militias, or to use paper money issued by the Second Continental Congress. Opposition to the War of 1812, the first war declared by the United States of America, was widespread, especially among New Englanders. Massachusetts and Connecticut state militias refused to go to war, and the pool of volunteers quickly dried up. Massachusetts even tried to negotiate a treaty separate from that of the United States. When Congress authorized the War Department to recruit 50,000 one-year volunteers, they could only find 10,000, and the Army never even reached half of its authorized strength. The Federalist Party was the anti-war group, but it had nothing to do with religion. The first religion-based peace movement in the United States was the New York Peace Society, founded in 1815 by theologian David Lowe Dodge and still in existence today. It was followed by the Massachusetts Peace Society. Numerous peace societies were also being formed in Europe, with the first International Peace Conference convening in London in 1843. Opposition to the Civil War existed from its start, both in the North and in the South. Some peace activists protested on moral grounds, others on financial grounds. Anti-war Northern Democrats, known as Copperheads, accused President Abraham Lincoln of being a despot and sought immediate peace. During the Battle of Bull Run, 30 women in Danbury, Connecticut, marched by brass band to their town center, where they took down the Stars and Stripes and replaced it with peace flags. Draft riots occurred in many cities, the most memorable in New York City in 1863, not necessarily as a plea for peace, but to protest a draft which would affect German and Irish immigrant workers, leaving their jobs open to newly emancipated African Americans. Normally, peace-loving Quakers felt strongly enough about slavery that they set aside their religion's tenets and volunteered by the score. The Philadelphia Wisters are a good example, as all six Wister brothers served at some time during the war. See podcast number 25 for April 2021. It was during the Civil War that Abraham Lincoln signed the Lieber Code, the first comprehensive codified law that set out regulations for behavior in times of martial law and protection of civilians and civilian property. The Lieber Code covered the management of deserters, prisoners of war, hostages, and pillaging, truces, prisoner exchanges. It tried to promote respect for human life, especially civilians. It was respected not only in the United States, but in many European countries. The anti-war movement during the Spanish-American War was led by American business leaders who feared war with Spain would lead to inflation and threaten the gold standard. Many academics and authors had moral concerns, including Mark Twain, Andrew Carnegie, and former President Grover Cleveland, who formed the Anti-Imperialist League. The League failed to stop annexation of the Philippines 
and tens of thousands of lives were lost. American Quakers were involved in all of these peace movements. Hannah Hallowell Clothier was born in 1872 at the family home Ballytour Castle in Wynwood. It is now the St. Sahag and St. Mesrob Armenian Apostolic Church of Wynwood. She was born to Quaker parents, Isaac Hallowell Clothier and Mary Clapp Jackson Clothier. Her father was co-founder of the Strawbridge and Clothier Department Stores, and we met her brother William in podcast number 34 for January 2022, Tennis The Clothiers were in a sect called the Hicksite Quakers. After attending school at Friends Central School, she matriculated at Swarthmore College and graduated in 1891 when she was 19. Founded in 1864 with its first classes in 1869, Swarthmore is one of the earliest co-educational colleges in the United States. It was established as a college, quote, under the care of friends, end quote, and it was named for the Quaker meeting place in England. It was the only college founded by the Hicksite sect of Quakerism. Orthodox Quakers had founded Haverford College for Quaker men in 1833, and then later Bryn Mawr College for Quaker women in 1885. Further splintering from the Hicksite Quakers led to the Wilburites and then the Gurneyites, and each group had a slightly different way of addressing its members' relationship with God. If you are interested in the varying splits in Quaker orthodoxy, I recommend the work Quaker Theologies in the 19th Century Separations by Larry Keening, K-U-E-N-N-I-N-G. Hannah Clothier was coming of age in a time when the new woman was becoming a feminist ideal, an independent woman seeking radical change, much like the three Worcester sisters that I covered in All Bones Considered number 36 in March 2022. These emerging women participated in life as members of society and the workforce, as well as exerting autonomy in the domestic and private spheres in literature, theater, and other artistic representations. The suffragette movement to gain women's democratic rights was the most significant influence on the new woman. Autonomy was their radical goal. Right behind voting rights came the quest of eliminating war. The new woman was primarily a result of growing respectability of post-secondary education for women of the privileged upper classes of society. Even among men, less than 10% had a college education at this time. Many women entered politics in ways which had not been available to them before. Some historians hypothesize that in the late 19th century, there was not just one linear course of moral development, but two moral perspectives that eventually merged. The ethic of care, generally associated with women, quote, rests on the principle of nonviolence, that no one should get hurt. The ethic of justice, generally associated with men, quote, proceeds from the premise of equality, that everyone should be treated the same. After graduating from Swarthmore, Hannah became involved in the Settlement Movement, a reformist social organization with the goal of bringing the rich and the poor of society together in both physical proximity and social interconnectedness. 
Its main objective was to establish settlement houses in poor urban areas in which volunteer middle-class settlement workers would live, sharing knowledge and culture with their low-income neighbors. In Philadelphia, the first settlement house, opened in April 1892, was the St. Mary Street College Settlement at 617 St. Mary Street. It was later renamed Rodman Street, located between Lombard and South. In 1928, it became the Susan Parrish Wharton Settlement, and it continues its work in the 21st century at 1708-1710 North 22nd Street. These settlement houses, by 1911, there would be 21 of them scattered throughout the city, supplemented public school Americanization efforts with adult classes for literacy, cooking, child care, nutrition, housekeeping, and carpentry. The most famous settlement house of that time was in Chicago. It was called Hull House, and it was founded by Jane Adams. Now, the name Hull House had nothing to do with Hannah Clothier Hull or her husband. In 1898, Hannah Clothier married fellow Quaker William Isaac Hull, 1868-1939. He was also a progressive. They married at the Clothier family home, Valley Tour. There was a special train that brought 150 guests from Philadelphia to Wynwood for the ceremony. William Hull was born in Baltimore, and after receiving a Ph.D. from Johns Hopkins University in 1892, he took the Joseph Wharton Professorship of History and Political Economy at Swarthmore in 1894. I will talk more about Joseph Wharton in a future podcast, but his mother was one of the founders of Swarthmore College. William Isaac Hull was heavily involved in the peace movement and wrote such tomes as Preparedness, the American versus the Military Program, and the New Peace Movement. The Hague Conventions of 1899 and 1907 were treaties and declarations and negotiated at two international peace conferences among the first formal statements of the laws of war and war crime in the body of international law. They took many of their regulations from the Lieber Code. The Convention of 1899 included a ban on dropping explosives from balloons or by other analogous methods anticipating airplanes. They prohibited the use of projectiles to spread asphyxiating gas or projectiles that expanded upon striking a victim. Uh, By the way, the United States did not ratify those rules. Hannah Clothier Hall of Philadelphia attended the Second Hague Conference for International Peace in 1907. Although it had been encouraged by President Theodore Roosevelt in 1904, it was delayed by the Russo-Japanese War of 1904-1905. This precursor to the Geneva Convention concentrated on naval warfare came up with 13 treaties and one declaration, everything from a convention relative to the opening of hostilities to a convention concerning the rights and duties of neutral powers in naval war. This would probably explain Dr. Loreen Pruitt's putting forward the name of Hannah Clothier Hull as Secretary of the Navy 25 years later in 1932. In 1915, in response to the Great War in Europe, 
The Women's Peace Party, the WPP, was formed as a result of a protest march of 1,500 women in New York City on 29 August 1914. They were dressed in funereal black dresses and wore black armbands. There were no bands. It was a dead silent procession down Fifth Avenue behind a white banner bearing a dove. Somber crowds lined the street. While men marched to war behind brass bands, women marched in silence for peace. Older peace movements had usually limited themselves to working behind the scenes. This would no longer be the case. This tactical shift of making the parade public marked the beginning of the modern peace movement. There was a common theme among many of the leading women of the United States and Europe. Women were a community united by a commitment to the inviolability of human life. Jane Addams of Chicago introduced this theme at the 1915 Organizational Conference of the WPP. When the members met in Washington, D.C., they elected Adams as their president. The convention approved a platform calling for, quote, the immediate convocation of a convention of neutral nations in the interest of an early peace, limiting of armaments, opposition to militarism or military intervention in America, democratization of foreign policy, removal of the economic motivation for war, and the expansion of the electoral franchise for women. New York City teacher Catherine Devereaux Blake angrily demanded that women, quote, be permitted a voice in the government so that the gigantic folly and stupidity of war may end and the money now wasted on military operations may be spent on education and works for the comfort of humanity, end quote. For these angry, disillusioned women, the civilization created by men was a miserable and dangerous failure. They demanded that women be given an opportunity to rebuild civilization using their own moral values as the new foundation. The right of women to vote was seen by the female participants in the organization as part and parcel of the cause for peace, based on the presumption that women were inclined by nature to be oriented towards the nurturing of human life. Hannah Clothier Hall was elected president of the Pennsylvania branch, and she retained that position throughout the Great War. Despite a mass gathering of the women's peace movement in The Hague in 1915, they had little, if any, effect on the conduct and outcome of the war. At the end of the conflict, the Women's Peace Party changed its name to the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, known for short as WIL. In 1922, Hannah was back in The Hague attending the International Conference of Women. And in 1932, she was their delegate to the League of Nations Disarmament Conference. In 1935, she wrote a letter to Mrs. Norman Storer in which she said, quote, Peace is impossible under the present economic order. The economic competition of the present order is one of the direct causes of international conflict. It was in May of this year, 1935, that she attended a reception for Jane Addams at the White House and had her picture taken with Addams and First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. But three weeks later, Jane Addams was dead. From 1928 
until 1947. Hannah Hull sat on the board of the American Friends Service Committee. The AFSC had been founded in Philadelphia in 1917 as an effort by American members of the Religious Society of Friends and other peace churches to assist civilian victims of World War I. During the war, the organization also worked to find alternative service for conscientious objectors since members of pacifist churches were legally exempt from the draft. Nonetheless, many Quakers and other COs were ordered to report to army camps for military duties. The AFSC visited many of these COs to provide spiritual guidance and to assist them in finding alternative service to combat. The AFSC continued its efforts after the 1918 armistice and by the mid-1920s was focusing on improving race relations in the United States. It also worked strenuously to try and prevent the outbreak of another worldwide conflict. It helped refugees escape from Nazi Germany, provided relief for children on both sides of the Spanish Civil War. When Japanese Americans were evacuated from the West Coast into inland concentration camps, the AFSC headed the effort to help college students transfer to Midwest and East Coast schools to avoid the camps. And after the World War, in 1947, the AFSC worked to resettle refugees during the partition of India. That same year, the organization was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Their peaceful work continues to this day. Hannah was also a founder of Pendle Hill, a Quaker study, retreat, and conference center in suburban Wallingford, Pennsylvania, not far from Swarthmore. It was named for the hill in Lancashire, England, that the first Quaker preacher, George Fox, described as the site of his calling to ministry. Founded in 1930, Pendle Hill offers programs open to people of all faiths, including both online and residential study programs on themes including introductory Quakerism, nonviolent change, sustainable living, arts and spirituality, and body work. Their vision is to create peace with justice in the world by transforming lives. William and Hannah were among the founders who met for the first time three days after the stock market crash of 1929. In 1931, on the way to the Geneva Disarmament Conference, the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom sponsored a cross-country caravan and secured seven million names on a petition urging universal disarmament. Hannah was one of the people who spoke with President Herbert Hoover when the petition was presented to him at the White House. As Europe again lurched toward war in the 1930s, American isolationists sought to avoid a repeat of World War I. The America First Committee led the charge, staging mass rallies, broadcasting radio advertisements. Two future U.S. presidents, Gerald Ford and John F. Kennedy, supported the anti-war organization on their college campuses. Aviator Charles Lindbergh, Father Charles Coughlin, who called for American neutrality even if Germany conquered Great Britain, became its most prominent advocates. The right-wing Mother's Movement saw Nazi Germany as an ally against communism and urged isolation in anti-war books and pamphlets. William I. Hull and Hannah worked tirelessly 
to avoid another international conflagration. But William died in 1939, just a few weeks after Germany invaded Poland. In 1940, a Gallup poll found that only 7% of Americans believed the United States should declare war on Germany. Public opinion started to turn with the fall of France and the Battle of Britain, but the bombing of Pearl Harbor destroyed virtually any anti-war sentiment in the country. In the week following the Japanese attack, only 7% of Americans wanted the country to stay out of the war. Representative Jeanette Rankin of Montana, who was one of 50 representatives to vote against U.S. participation in the Great War, was the lone vote in Congress against the country's entry into World War II. I could find no record of Hannah's work during World War II. She was 69 years old when Pearl Harbor was bombed. But many of the things she had worked for throughout her life took place during that conflict. Since there was no national register of conscientious objectors, the total number is unknown. But 37,000 were classified by Selective Service as COs. 43,000 served as non-combatants. Within the larger group of COs, 12,000 men served in civilian public service, and 6,000 went to jail. As alternative service, COs worked in forestry, as human testers, as firefighters, farm work, hospital attendants, and psychiatric hospitals. But no matter what the job was, COs were always under the control of someone else and had to work without pay. For many COs, their work was boring, depressing, and unrewarding in that the U.S. public did not appreciate their jobs. Many COs were in forestry, mostly under control of the U.S. Forestry Service. It was the CO's job to build dams, levees, and reservoirs, dig ditches, clear channels, sod gullies. COs were also responsible for a large amount of trail clearing in national parks. Some COs thought that working on farms was not work of national importance, so they requested work in mental hospitals. In many cases, they replaced workers who had enlisted or left these jobs due to the bad working conditions and low salaries. COs learned that the conditions in mental hospitals were appalling, and they committed themselves to establishing new standards for patients in mental hospitals. Altogether, 3,000 conscientious objectors worked in psychiatric hospitals as ward attendants, mechanics, kitchen helpers, technicians, clerks, and outdoor laborers. These jobs were sometimes dangerous. Some patients took their anger out on the COs by attacking them, even with knives. Despite these threats, COs felt that it was their responsibility to improve conditions in hospitals and find nonviolent ways to deal with patients. One of the most dangerous jobs for conscientious objectors was that of a human tester. These COs, about 500 of them volunteered, perhaps wanted to show their courage by offering themselves for hazardous experiments. The volunteers tested new drugs, extreme temperatures, and the effects of diseases such as jaundice, malaria, and pneumonia. Hannah Clothier Hall 
worked tirelessly throughout her life for world peace and disarmament and the right for human beings to refuse to harm their fellow human beings. When she died at 85 on July 4, 1958, the Friends Journal offered up this epitaph. Hannah Hull was from the first an influential person in the councils of the American Friends Service Committee, and indeed in the various forms of peace efforts of American Quakerism which preceded that committee. But it was in the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom that she found the fullest scope for her leadership. For many years she was national president, and then until her death she was honorary national president. Associated with Jane Addams, Emily Green Balch, and other founders in 1916, she remained to the end active to the extent of her powers. Few of this notable group of women enjoyed, as she did, the warm backing of a husband. One may assume, I think, that the important Jane Addams Peace Collection at Swarthmore College is a byproduct of this connection, just as William Hull's series of Swarthmore monographs on Dutch Quaker history were a byproduct of his early concern with the Hague International Tribunal. But one despairs at attempting even to hint at the radiating interest in her rich life. She combined loyalty and assistance to Friends Affairs on the local and wider level with willing participation in concerns of world range. Modest herself to a fault, she was extremely sensitive to the feelings of others. She was able to give associates assurance and a sense of support, which she, in her humble spirit, may herself have rarely enjoyed. It is to be wished that such encouragement could continue through others as the legacy of her life. Hannah Clothier Hall, Quaker pacifist and suffragette, was laid to rest in the Clothier family plot in the summit section of West Laurel Hill Cemetery on July 9, 1958, next to her beloved husband and fellow pacifist, William. Her papers reside in the Swarthmore College Peace Collection. Remember that the regular edition of All Bones Considered Laurel Hill Stories will be available on the last Friday of March. You will hear of a man who could do nothing in moderation, Senator Boys Penrose, one of the biggest, both literally and figuratively, politicians to ever come out of Philadelphia. His brother, surgeon Richard Penrose, invented a simple train which took his name and is still being used in the 21st century. And two other brothers also made names and fortunes for themselves. Biographical Bites from Bala, West Laurel Hill edition number 7, in mid-April will be on the brother and sister physician team of Francis and Clara Durkham. He was a famed neurologist who was summoned to Washington within hours of Woodrow Wilson's life-altering stroke in 1919. She was a suffragette who fought for women's rights and especially women's public health during her long career. Remember to become a member 
of the Friends of Laurel Hill and West Laurel Hill cemeteries. You will get discounts on tours. You'll get discounts in the gift shop. At least two members-only bonus podcasts this year. One of them is already available. It's recorded, and when you become a member, they will send you a link. You'll also get special tours that include visits inside some of the mausoleums at West Laurel Hills Cemetery. If you like to explore on your own, don't forget there's an excellent app you can download for Laurel Hills Cemetery, but there's also a 42-minute audio guide that I did that will guide you through West Laurel Hill from the Barmouth entrance off the Kinwood Trail all the way to the Pencoid exit near the Pet Cemetery. Contact me, joe at joelex.net, and I will send you the link. Visit us at the cemeteries. You can find most of the activities at the laurelhillcemetery.org slash events. There are many guided tours coming up at the cemeteries, along with virtual tours via Zoom. This is Joe Lex. I'm a retired professor of emergency medicine from Temple University. Maybe I will see you on a tour. Stay safe. Stay well. The major references that I used for this... Much of my information on the peace movement came from the website history.com slash news and an excellent article called Anti-War Movements Throughout American History. For the friends' work during the Second World War, try the website www.friendsjournal.org. There is an article called U.S. Conscientious Objectors World War II. The newspaper article urging women to be given cabinet positions in Roosevelt's administration was dated 8 January 1933. The copy that I found was in the Chattanooga Daily Times. Then there is The Women's Peace Party and the Moral Basis for Women's Pacifism by Linda Schott. That was in Frontiers, a Journal of Women's Studies, 1985, volume 8, number 2, pages 18 to 24. Our Deeds Carry Our Message, The Early History of the American Friends Service Committee by J. William Frost, published in Quaker History, Spring 1992, Volume 81, Number 1, pages 1 through 51. The Hicksite Quaker World, 1875 to 1900. That was by Thomas D. Ham. That was published in Quaker History, Fall 2000, Volume 89, Number 2, pages 17 to 41. And finally, Patriots and Pacifists, the Rhetorical Debate About Peace, Patriotism, and Internationalism, 1914 to 1930. It was written by Christy Joe Snyder. It was in Rhetoric and Public Affairs, Spring 2005, Volume 8, Number 1, pages 59 to 83. Stay safe, stay well.